Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt. Welcome to Any Honey and the New, the show that goes anywhere and means nothing. Uh, this <laughs> season, we're in season three, finally, The Reckoning, right? And we've uh, been talking a whole lot about really the, the bottom lines behind thinking, uh, decision making. Um, so we've talked a lot about perception and perspective. I always, always confuse those two things. And even uh, recently in conversations at work, which have actually brought up those two very topics, I constantly am switching them. And I'm like, damn it, Corbin and I had these conversations already. I should know better. <laughs> <laughs> They're so interrelated. And I think if you use two ideas close together, it's easy to get them. Like you think of one when you think of the other. Right. And I think because we did those two episodes back to back, uh, that then that further cemented their similarities in my mind, and now like it's like uh, when good, you... I've made it. <laughs> You'll never be able to get them straight, <laughs> right? It's like when you uh, say a word over and over and over again, and at some point it starts to sound weird to you, and you're like, "This isn't how the word is said or spelled," right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Speaking of, so which, what are we talking about today? Yeah, today's episode. Uh, I think we're going to go into normative uh, behavior decisions and what that means from a, not just a philosophy perspective, but what that means in life. And uh, so, Corbin, I've asked you this many times, and I know you're super duper excited for today, but what what are norms? What's normative? Oh, yeah, I am excited. You thought I was excited about language. Oh, boy, am I excited for today. Uh, so the, the word or the um, shorthand norm is thrown around a lot, and we can say, like, that's the norm, uh, what is normal, uh, what is the norm in the situation, right? And and that word norm or normal seems like it's being used to apply it to a bunch of different situations, but means the same thing. But it actually, norm can be short for normal or normative. And I think sometimes that difference gets overlooked. So I think it's important if we can kind of keep those two concepts uh, identified separately they're both useful and if we get them mixed up we can make a lot of mistakes so uh normal is like a descriptive sense that's a norm in the statistically or in, in describing a situation what typically happens what what is the average or the statistical majority or or you know it's a descriptive norm and then there's normative which brings in things like values and principles what ought we to strive for what is the standard by which we're we're judging something uh what what are the criteria so so what's normal is just describing what happens and what's normative requires some theory and some evaluation interesting so you're saying that uh normative uh it's not like maybe it's obvious but there has to be some sort of uh perception around it to make that explicit does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what you're touching on there is you when you're just doing things in a descriptive register, you just do what you do. There's no assessment of what's going on. You could talk about it and, and describe it, right? But you're not making any judgments or evaluations about what's happening. But for a normative 
principle to be in play, you're picking out something and evaluating it, which means that you're comparing it to something else. And what usually those are being compared to is some kind of standard, whether that's like grading a quiz and you've got the answer key, that could be your standard. Or you could be um, talking about how an, uh, a good working mechanism, like a, a gear, how it works when it's working well. And so anything that's not satisfying that that desired, like this is how it ought to go, is then failing the norm. That's a kind of assessment too. So I'll, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this concept um, within the context of driving a lot. And I actually thought that driving was kind of a good example, right? Because we have um, the behaviors that we see on the road, the rules of the road, right? That's like the, the, the standards that you're referring to, I think. And then mm -hmm. there's, um, then there's like the abnormal behaviors that could happen also, right? So there's like, uh, let's just start with like, you know, the speed limit, right? You can go 60 mm -hmm. miles an hour. You can choose to go 70 miles an hour. And if everybody else is going 70, you're not doing anything abnormal, but you're still outside the bounds of the, the norm structure that's there. But also there's, I'm going to throw this in there, right? There's the societal normative aspect as well. Because everybody else is going 70, it's within that normative construct do i have this do i have this close yeah yeah what a great um great way to point out that there can be more than one set of norms that play at, at a single time right so when descriptively if you're going 70 miles per hour and the speed limit is 70 miles per hour and everybody's going 70 miles per hour then they all kind of align right you are doing what is normal descriptively what is you know if i were to describe the situation everyone's going 70 i'm satisfying that norm but that's not a evaluative judgment that's just statistically i'm on the average then there's the legal norm right the law is do not exceed 70 miles per hour and i'm satisfying that if i'm going 70 but not if i'm going 71 right and then there's the societal norms like uh let's say you know police will turn their heads if it's under five miles over i'm not suggesting that anybody try and employ this right but kind of a social norm is eh, if you're with over get pulled over and so goes three five ten miles over the speed limit and sees if they can get away with it right and if everybody's doing this there's both the statistical normalcy but also just kind of a social expectation like people on the road should be going a little bit faster than the speed limit those people drive me crazy you always get that <laughs> that dude that's going 45 miles an hour on the on-ramp right and you're like I don't get up to 70, I'm going to crash into this car right here, and you are really messing it up for me and you and for everybody else. There's um, kind of another aspect to that that I wanted to throw in there because there's like the, um, you go to driver's ed, right, and you kind of learn these rules of the road. You learn both the actual legal rules, but you also learn um, like, sort of behaviors that are there for safety, but they're not legal or illegal. For instance, um, when you stop at a four-way stop sign and you get there at the same time as everybody else, the, the norm is to the person who's on the right goes first, 
right? And so whoever got there, like to the right, if two people got there at the same time, the person on the right goes first. And when people behave outside of that, which is like not illegal, but it's certainly not what we're trained to do, then that becomes sort of like this whole other aspect of it where it's like societal, but also structured, but not immoral or unethical. Maybe it's unethical, but not immoral. Yeah, I I do want to talk about, so there's really nice <clears throat> distinctions between illegal, impolite, or uncivil, and unethical. Thank you. Right? Those are much if better I, words. <laughs> right, because I could um, burp in someone's face, and it's not <laughs> not illegal in, in most cases. In some cases, it could be considered assault. But in most cases, like if I burp in my friend's face, it's funny to me, and it's probably not unethical or illegal, but it's impolite, right? It violates some social norm, and that might be why it's funny, right? How, Whereas if I... How often did you ahead. do that to Kevin? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but if I burp in, my, uh, in a police officer's face when, they're, when they have me detained, right? Like now it could be considered some kind of like affront on their investigation uh they could turn it into being belligerent or uncooperative so that it could be turned into something illegal so you know there's there's places where those things blend but the categories are different and all the norms can be operating at the same time or maybe only some of them are in effect yeah those are really interesting points so um you said uncivil right and uh where does that lie like how would you define uncivil so, so I would say legal legality, right, is based on the code of laws and ethics is, you know, we have different ethical systems. So you might debate about what the ethical standards are, but we think of morality or ethics as, as these standards of right behavior. Like you are in violation of some important code if you, if you violate them. Civility uh, manners are cultural kind of systems of, of etiquette hmm. and we expect people to adhere to them. If somebody doesn't adhere to them, they could be considered uncouth, uncivilized, uh, nasty. Like you could have all kinds of different ways of judging them, but not you don't typically judge them an ethical failure. It's more of a, there's some other kind of so lack of socialization that has occurred. So, you know, kids break these rules all the time. That's what we can, get a real hoot out of what the questions kids ask because it's like you're not supposed to ask that even though we're all thinking it right the adults are thinking the same thing but they don't say it out loud because we've been socialized that's uncivil to say that in in public or whatever that's a really interesting one and you got me thinking about how um like whenever somebody in a majority group goes outside of that group and they're you know introduced to a what is a majority group in a different setting, but to them is a minority group because they're different, uh, that civility aspect comes back into play, right? You think of uh, the first settlers of the Americas, right? They saw the native people as uncivilized and it happened when they went to yeah. Africa as well, right? But in the from the perspective of the local population, right, they're no more civil or uncivil than the group. And actually you probably were considered uncivil by that group because 
now these people show up, these fuckers show up, and they're just, like, messing around and doing things that, like, we don't normally do here. So they're the abnormal. They're the the people behaving outside the norms of our own culture. Yeah, that's a really good uh, point, is that we don't always keep straight which codes these different norms belong to. And we sometimes don't even know, like, we conflate or think that something that is a matter of socialization is an ethical norm and ought to be a law, right? Sometimes we want to codify our ethics into law. Um, sometimes we think, no, the, the law is just to standardize behavior, but ethics, you know, sometimes the ethical thing is to break the law or there can be um, emergencies where you need to break the law and it's not unethical, right? So those can come apart, but civil kind of gets conflated sometimes with legal and sometimes with ethical. We don't always distinguish that. And I like your example of how when cultures come into conflict, people from different cultural backgrounds interact, they might think each other is the un uncivilized one. It's kind of funny. I had right. never thought of uh, um, being like a native population from that perspective. The, the outsider who's now coming is uncivil um, until actually like then I started thinking about it more when I married Salia, right? Because her family just has a different culture structure than my family did. Um, and I had to make sure that I behaved like essentially to the T within her family's norm structure so that I was not seen as like this, like stereotypical uncivil white dude. Right. I had to like basically fit in perfectly with her family to maybe break stereotypes that they had or, uh, just to be like essentially a model citizen. Yeah. No, I, that's uh, having to navigate that can be difficult because sometimes these norms aren't explicit. Nobody can articulate what the expectation is. They just want you to pick up on it. And that's, you know, part of it is being in the in the group of belonging such that I can mimic the behaviors or, or acknowledge the behaviors without even noticing them myself that, it, that it's happening. Um, I do want to point out too, like sometimes when people are th criticizing ethical theory or, or evaluating critical theory, sorry, evaluating ethical theory through a critical lens, um, they, they might ask like, is this ethical principle merely a social norm? So cultural relativism is the reduction of ethics to something like civ civility, codes of civility. And, um, uh, there was a really good book, The Honor Code, by, a, I can't remember, his, Kwame Anthony Apia, I think is his name, uh, where he talks about how in some cultures, honor was this really important ethical value that would determine social relationships and uh, your commitments that you had to, to repay someone's honor or honor a promise or a debt. Uh, and then for other civilizations that it just wasn't uh, as highly ranked, like being dishonorable would be a negative, but maybe honor wasn't as important as integrity or success and some of these other values. So uh, it is interesting to think about how ethical values and civil codes might be difficult to distinguish. But if you have principles by which you're by which you're evaluating things, you're applying norms either way. So so just to set like. It's interesting, the whole ethics and civility thing, but I just want to point out, like, all of this is still normative talk. It's something other than just describing the way things are. Yeah, that's super interesting, especially when you think about um, some of this stuff, right? We 
just talked about it, it feels so subjective, right? But then we're able to mm. turn that into what we would consider to be very objective rules and standards, like you had mentioned earlier. And I don't know, to me, it's super fascinating. And I like now that I've articulated that, it's also really confusing how we get from what we perceive to be subjective to something that we perceive to be extremely objective. And it's neither of them are, they're not a number system. They're not a logic system. It's still based in the same. I mean, I'm not saying that normativity is not logical. I'm just trying to say that it feels like it's not. <laughs> yeah. We, we get into some real murky waters when we try to really precisely distinguish what is subjective and what is objective. What do we mean by those terms? Uh, then you have to go into the term intersubjective, right, where it's not merely subjective, but it's not quite uh, a personal and objective in that sense. But I think something that we've already kind of said in previous episodes is that normativity em emerges simultaneously, I think, with with subjective experience. So there's something inherent, inherently um, subject related to normativity. I don't want to say it's all subjective in, in the sense of relativistic, but it is all subject relative. Whereas description is something that is, uh, you know, it either is or isn't the case that something is so. Um, while we're on this track, I wanted to bring up something that I can't quite make sense of. And so I'm hoping that you can be a shining beacon, uh, <laughs> the tall lighthouse of, from Southern California that you are. Um, <laughs> how do we perceive, or I shouldn't say perceive, but how does like a natural law come into play, right? Like the, the physics of the universe or even just like what happens biologically, how does that play into you know, what we would define as normativity or even normal versus abnormal. Wow. That is a loaded question. <laughs> it's a really good one. Um, I can't go down all those different avenues. So let me start with the idea of, of like physical laws. So when we're talking about natural laws, uh, things like every action has to have an equal and opposite reaction. We're not talking about a standard where, you ought to give an opposite and equal reaction to any action. We're saying it's not possible for there to be an action without an opposite and equal reaction. So it's, it's, we're describing something that we think is a principle of the universe for at least closed systems. We're not describing something that you, that is a prescription, like you ought to follow this, right? So, so this is the difference between description and prescription. So, so when we talk about laws in that sense, it's not the same thing as a law like don't steal from your neighbor, right? Because I could steal from my neighbor and I just, you know, ought not to. Right. So um, what about when we're talking about, uh, let's say, animal behavior, right? Um, like how does that, which feels like it's natural and might be like some people, I hear the word natural law all the time, so I'll just use that even though that's not the same thing that you're talking about like what what did, how do we make sense of that good yeah so especially as in the modern age as we were learning more about the natural universe and finding out discovering these principles and how to articulate them with mathematics 
we started noticing, you know, statistical averages, the way things typically go. And, you know, whether it's by using statistics and calculus to determine limit points or just general observation and, and making generalizations, uh, we did start to see how things typically happen in animal societies and human society and different kinds of chemical reactions and so forth. And so there where we try to describe something that generally happens but isn't necessary, then it is possible to have events that don't follow those norms, right? But the norm there, again, is a descriptive norm. This is how things usually go, typically go, not this is how the reaction ought to go, right? So if you have a chemical reaction that surprises you, there are probably some other factors that require explanation, but it's a natural event. It's something that occurred, and so therefore it must have been possible to occur because it did occur, right? So violating that norm is, again, not violating some kind of principle it's just surprising our expectation. So, so the difference there, this is where the, the confusion I think of norm can come is where on the one hand, we might talk about what's normal, what is the norm in this situation? And we're offering a descriptive, this is what typically happens. But if we treat that as norm in the normative sense, then anything that doesn't go the typical way is now seen as abnormal and given the value. It's attributed an extra value of not only is it abnormal, it's therefore bad or wrong. And, and that's where I think we can make a mistake. That's so fascinating. There's two things I want to say here. Uh, I'll save one for a second. But you're talking about like the good and bad value system. Um, like In your best estimate, where does that come from when attributed to, you know, like statistical populations like that? Like, you know, choosing pepperoni pizza versus uh, pineapple pizza or you know uh, you know whether DNA splits a certain way based on a statistical set yeah when you ask where it comes from uh, that can be understood in a bunch of different ways so like historically we might point to natural law theory where it actually argued that ethics ought to be based around some kind of natural principles just like there were natural laws for the universe of uh, physics maybe there are natural law principles for behavior and so ethics should derive from those so historically there is like a long school of thought that that pushed this and a lot of it was influenced by religion but also you could ask like well what would motivate that in the first place and now you're asking a psychological question right and i think that there's all kinds of reasons why we would want to think one i want to belong i want to be part of the in group or or the group and so doing things the same way this, that others does makes our actions predictable, controllable. Uh, we can expect what other people are going to do, right? There's a, it facilitates interaction. And so those are all cooperation building exercises. And since uh, we live in a society, cooperation is beneficial functionally, right? So now you can turn that functional benefit into a prescription. Well, we ought to cooperate and cooperating means acting in these ways and so each culture kind of develops these are the right ways to do things you know in this culture we drive on the right side of the road and it's not just law uh but it's also like good behavior it'll have fewer accidents um if i'm interpreting this correctly uh, it sounds like cooperation is both normal and normative 
Good. Yeah. I, well, I think it is normal. And I think people, there is an, I'm sympathetic to why people would want to make it normative, right? Like if it has worked in the past, then it would work again in the future. It's been good enough. The way we have done things in the past have been good enough. So we ought to keep doing them that way. But that ought really isn't justified, right? There might be changes in circumstances, interactions of cultures, uh, new technologies where doing things the way we've always done them is not the best ultimate outcome, right? So, so there is really no default setting that the way things have been done or the, the normal or typical way of doing things ought to be the way that we do things. In fact, that mistake was identified as a logical fallacy. Man, this is a good discussion, Anthony. I just don't know that we're going to be able to get everything that we want in in one episode. You know what? Let's make it a two-parter.